ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. My name is Russ Shaw. This is episode 49, the freedom episode, the 4th of July, Independence Day in my country, kicking it off with some melon camp. This black man with black hair, little black neighborhood, he's got in a state running right here without a lot of editing all right i know the last episode again was like a poorly edited audio book <laughs> while i'm driving around in my van i am at my home in my basement um been going through some email and reflecting on some conversations i've had with friends and stuff and and wanted to talk about freedom man uh, I live in the U.S., the United States of America, and July 4th is our Independence Day. It's always kind of a personal holiday for me as well. Um, I get fired up about, you know, Independence Day, freedom. Uh, I don't know, is it the rebel in me, <laughs> right? That kind of good rebellion. Uh, yes, there's such thing as good rebellion, by the way. Um, when you decide to change when you decide that the way you're living is no longer uh, tolerable there's a good kind of rebellion um, when the powers that be you know move in and try and control or, or do the wrong thing um, you could say that Jesus was a rebel all right in the religious terms with the religious professionals and the rulers of the day uh, he was kind of part of a rebellion so to speak, right? If you look at the uh, the Roman government and the reason why a lot of people got behind Jesus as a you know as a personality, they thought he would be a political figure, and you take down this corrupt Roman government, right? And and he had different, deeper plans than that. But uh, yeah, so getting into this, you know, Independence Day. We are a nation that's birthed out of a, a kind of rebellion in a good way for the sake of freedom. Um, I live in the Seattle area here in the great northwest, so to speak. A little different than um, some of the most of the Christian folks around the south. It's just a different culture here. Uh, but I do like that about this area. There's a more diverse um, groups of people and you get to learn and, and know and talk to and 
and, and, and probe around in the hearts of <laughs> some other different thinking people, which I do, I do like. Uh, but when it comes to addiction, when it comes to taking on the, the things that uh, own us, what does it look like to be free, right? There's, is that different, Russ? That's a different kind of freedom. I like that you say Independence Day, but isn't this analogy? Yes, uh, but there's also something deeper going on when it comes to, you know, that personal decision. And, and sexual addiction is a, a personal thing, right? Like a lot of, not a lot of people know about it. You know, you feel alone. I hear that in so many stories that the sex addict, I'm like the only person who does this. You know, that's just simply not true, right? But it's a personal realization. It's like, uh, realizing, you know, I'm not an island unto myself. I'm in a, I'm in a nation, so to speak, right? That there's a lot of folks who struggle with this. And that's one of the, you know, the things that I talked about in the last episode and sharing that talk, um, by the pastor there in, in Denver, about gifting, about being part of a community and how, how freeing and, and great that is when we can do it, right? When we can open up our hearts and just, be um, who we are in front of other people. That's something about support groups. It's just very important. I keep hammering that, man. Um, and it's one of those things that, you know, it, it gets in your heart. And it's part of you. You really want to be free, right? That's one of those things. Like, if you want to be free, I mean, people picked up guns to, <laughs> to be free. Uh, this is one of those things. It's kind of like warfare, man. You're going to have to get out and talk to some other people and confess this thing to some people and, and really work on getting outside of that, you know, it's just stuck inside yourself, that isolation, judgmental loner liar, right? Like my friend Nate Larkin said, um, so to speak, choosing to fix what's broke. All right. Um, I have my, my wife's car broke down and I'm pretty good with cars, right? I'm a kind of backyard mechanic. I've never gone to school. I've just owned a lot of cars. I've hung out with a lot of dudes who knew how to work on cars in my younger days. I mean, that was some of the bonding stuff and some of it was pretty jacked up, but I did learn from some guys who, you know, Hey, I got it. You know, I'm doing this. We're putting an engine in here. Um, and I learned from these guys how to, how to fix cars. And the thing about a car is you, you know, if it's broken, if something's messed up with it, you're not going anywhere. All right. It's not something you can just put off. And if you put off like changing your oil, for example, that'll mess up your engine in the long run. If you choose not to fix like an alternator, your car is going to break down. If you don't change your battery, cars like our lives require maintenance and it takes a personal decision to fix what's broke, right? That's another kind of Independence Day freedom cry. All right. I want to be free to be able to drive my car <laughs> to work or vacation or wherever, but I'm not going to be able to do that if I don't choose to maintain my vehicle. And that's something I wanted to get into today in talking about sin and Sigmund Freud. I know Sigmund Freud, right? He's a psychologist, uh, 
one of the grandfathers of psychoanalytics. He's called uh, a lot of psychology today. They don't talk too much about Freud except for the history of psychology. But he had a lot of analogies that we still use today. Um, you know, being anal about something. That's that anal retentive thing that comes from Freud. Freud said, you know, there's some babies who who keep all that, you know, they wouldn't poop, right? Or they would really, really get upset about it when they did. <laughs> so there's, this goes back to, you know, psychology and studying kids, you know, babies, and, and that they would be anal retentive. Like they would hold it and hold it as long as they could because they didn't want to deal with what came out of them. While there was other personalities that, you know, hey, they didn't mind and, you know, this is kind of warm and gushy, right? Just different kinds of people. Um, the anal retentive person. That's one of, the, one of these analogies kind of that Freud came up with. Um, another one I'm going to talk about a bit later, but... There seems to be in, in our culture the, the religion versus, well, religion's over here, and then there's science over here. So we have behavioral science and we have religion, and you can't really mix the two. Well, you know, that's something I've talked about in this show constantly, that I, I, I will mix the two. Like, I believe that truth is just truth, and it's going to come to the surface. If you heat up you know, water, steam's going to come out, and that's kind of like truth. Truth is just truth. Um, we have truth, right? You can't prove some kinds of truth. You can speculate. When you get into behavioral science, man, um, it, it's really interesting. There's a thing called a placebo, for example. If you're studying psychopharmaceuticals or even pharmaceuticals for, for other physical stuff, and you're testing that stuff, you give people medicine, right? You give one group of people medicine, then you give another group of people placebo. Why? What placebo is, is just a sugar pill. It doesn't do anything. Why? Because we're faith creatures. And when we put our faith in something, sometimes even if it's a pill, um, we're going to say, hey, I got a good result out of this. Well, you took a sugar pill, dude. <laughs> you know, I don't know why you... Anyway, so you get what I'm saying, right? Like behavioral science is really hard to nail down. There's a lot of faith involved. There's a lot of unproven, like we can try and do the best we can to gather information and create a theory or create a study that says, you know, this is true. Or these people do this or right. These different personality types or stuff like that. And all that's good science, but at the same time, there's there's always something deeper going on below our behaviors, our, our drives, our desires, what we really long for in life. That's why I talked about the last episode, our, our thirst for purpose, right? What am I here for? Why was I put on this earth? It's a question I think that God puts in us that we const constantly... Um, if we're honest, a lot of us, we, we struggle with, we deal with, we, it, it kind of eats at us. It's like that, that, in that matrix analogy, it's the, the splinter in your mind, like something's wrong with the world. And it's that splinter in your mind that we, we continue to work on. I've talked to a lot of college students and, and educated people who don't like the word sin. Um, wanted to touch on that. The word sin, it comes from Genesis, right? It comes from the break that God had this, this relationship with his creation as, as people and, and the first two people, right, that ever existed, 
that was broken, right? That that relationship was broken. Something happened and it, it split that relationship, fractured it. But it didn't just fracture the relationship that God had with human beings. It fractured the relationship that God had with the whole created order, all right? Um, and since that time, there's been this kind of war going on, right? There's been this, this struggle, this... Uh, Independence Day kind of fight, so to speak, right? Um, God set in motion uh, because of the fall, uh, you know, sin and redemption and what it means to live in a sinful, fallen, broken world, the suffering and pain of it all. Um, a lot of, lot of, you know, sciencey people don't like that. They don't like that story, um, don't like the word sin. I talked to this one guy who was like, you know, I just don't like the word because I don't believe and there's this ultimate right and wrong, you know. And I said, dude, um, if I walked up, punched you in the face and took your wallet, like what was that? Right. <laughs> you say that's not wrong. Um, come on, dude. Right. That this that's sinful. Here's the deal. Sin is is, again, that it's it's the fracture that temptation that rises up in our minds like hey i'm not getting mine right or something like that and we don't usually think it out we don't take time you know it's one of those things is learning some kind of a rhythm in our in our mind and in our spirit being able to pray getting up you know and, and praying and starting the the day with with some prayer and some talking with god and i don't know that for me that gets me into a better rhythm um, but it's also when it comes to temptation, it's just not letting our minds just run into that kind of, that kind of thinking like, well, what's mine? Like, I need to get that. Right. Um, dealing with temptations as they come, that, that rise of desire in the heart, learning to change the pattern by, um, acknowledging it and then, and then asking some questions. Check this out. I thought that this was really useful. This is from, uh, your brain on porn dot com um, some questions to to ask the tempting voice in your head uh, will acting on this temptation bring me long-term satisfaction or instant gratification question mark right good question to ask yourself what will be the end result if i act on this temptation if i choose to act on this temptation will my life will it make my life better or worse question mark, right? Do I take 100% responsibility for my own actions or do I blame others and make excuses? Can the addictive part of my brain force me to act out against my will? Question mark. That's a good one. Is there any part of me that wants to walk away from this? I'm being tempted. That's a good one too, man. Can I choose to follow that part that wants to walk away? Is there a feeling of peace that will come to me if I walk away? Would I feel better about myself tomorrow if I didn't act out today? Will I honor the rational part of my brain that encourages me to walk away from this temptation? One can positively direct one's mind by learning to ask, different questions again that's from your brain on porn.com not a religious website at all 
but one that's going to look at the dysfunction of being addicted to pornography. It's very true. Like dysfunctional family, you've heard that before too. Sin and dysfunction are kind of the same in that regard that, it, you know, you, you're not, you can't not be a sinner. The Bible says that, that if you say that you're without sin, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. That's in first John. Um, if you say that you have a totally functional family, you're a liar too, because everybody has dysfunctional families. That word dysfunctional family is kind of loaded, isn't it? Well, what do you mean by that? Because I don't know, I don't know anybody who has a totally functional family. So these two, you know, sin and dysfunction are, are sort of interchangeable, right? It's, it's the disorder, right? So here's what, you know, you sit in your, your therapist's office and, and they're going to talk about, you know, they're going to look for diagnosis and, they, and it usually ends with a disorder or a dysfunction, right? So the secular word for sin is, you know, disorder. You have a disorder, you have a dysfunction. And usually the way that that's treated is that we would be more, um, and, and this is something I do agree with. But I think that there's something else going on. If there is a God and there is a creator and that he does love us and he wants good for us, then it's a little different than just simply being about yourself, right? Freud also talked about the superego, right? The id that was kind of a leftover of evolutionary biology, you know, this alpha male kind of a thing, this pack mentality. Um, women have it too, you know, this, it, it's all about us and our ego and it, it had to do with, you know, this animal kind of lust. I mean, Freud was obsessed with sex. Um, but th there's something to that, right? The, the id, you know, the ego, a lot of us are driven by ego. It's, it's one of our major drivers that we would be uh, looked upon greatly or that we would be have prestige or that we would, you know, be desired, whether that's physically or whether it's um, just what we know, our place of power in the world. And this can go into our spiritual lives. It's a it, it, everything to me is, is spiritual. Worship isn't just like the music at church. Worship is our whole lives spilling out, right? And with so many addicts, it's that thing of the higher power, right? It's getting over that very stubborn part of ourselves that says, hey, you know what? The creator, what if there's something bigger than me, right? I didn't, I'm not in control entirely of my life. There's some things, a lot of things that I am in control of, but ultimately there's nothing that can't totally be overturned with a phone call, right? I mean, we think we have some kind of control in our lives, but if you're honest, one phone call and, and, and everything changes. It, it happens every single day to someone. And another thing about ego as Freud said, the, the id, is that this works itself into religion as well. Because sometimes we think, um, especially a lot of religious people, a lot of people who, right, we get into these religious patterns and we feel like we're gaining some kind of favor with God. 
that we can manipulate God, that our lives should be a certain way because we are, we are good over here in this area. The why do I struggle so badly in this area? It's not fair, right? We can get that kind of heart. We can get that kind of attitude. And again, it ain't about you, all right? It ain't about you. If there's anything to the higher power metaphor in recovery, it's the fact that it ain't all about you. Your life ain't all about you. As Donald Miller would say, you're a subplot in God's story. It's God's story. We get to be a part of it. We get to be in the subplot. All right? That we wouldn't be so prideful that we would make up our own God, but that we would submit to his authority and grace and accept that free gift of grace that he gives. You know, that quote I heard, it's so true that, you know, Christianity is the most exclusive religion because it's the most inexclusive religion, right? We don't like that. Grace isn't fair sometimes when it comes to other people, right? We love to receive the grace, but when that guy gets grace, wait, <laughs> it's, it's something in us. It's that id, right? Freud was a trip, man. I tell you what, because usually in a lot of secular terms, it's, it's treated. A lot of the disorder and dysfunction is treated with this kind of, you just need to love yourself. Um, I, I kind of agree with that, but what does that mean? Because Freud's going to have something to say about that too. It's called narcissism, right? So I wanted to do a little study and talk about that as well. Narcissus was a, a Greek mythology character, right? He's this guy that's walking along this path and he comes upon a puddle and he sees his reflection in the puddle for the first time, falls in love with it. And just stays there, staring into his reflection, being totally absorbed with the beauty of himself, right? And he just stays there until forever, right? <laughs> That's the story of Narcissus, that, you know, he just, oh my gosh, you know, he sees himself in the reflection. He's like, oh, look at me, I'm, whoa, right? And totally focused, the focus on himself absorbs his life. And that's where Freud came up with this, this term narcissism. So usually the answer that we get for fixing what's broke is that we would become more selfish, right? Without, that's where, you know, over and over again, without a, a deeper connection or spiritual life, um, that's usually inevitably what happens. Sin is real. All right. You don't get to keep sinning against your spouse. I'll use those words. You're cheating on your spouse. If you're using pornography compulsively, it's separating you from them spiritually. It's separating from them emotionally. It's separating from them on a, on a level that's breaking down intimacy. And it is sinning against the person that you love. And can I tell you something that includes you single people who haven't met that love connection yet, that intimacy, deep, life-giving, soul-to-soul intercourse connection, even if you haven't met them yet, right? Time 
in the realm of, of the spiritual is is not as big a deal as you as you realize, right? I love what Einstein said. The only reason for time is so that everything doesn't happen at once. It's like we find our escape in our sin, in sexual sin, and then we find over time that instead of freedom, what it gave us was bondage. What it gave us was slavery. And the good news is that repenting of that, turning from that, right? Facing our disorder, dysfunction, <laughs> that is the road to recovery. That is learning a new, deeper system of connection. And yes, it takes cooperation. It takes patience. It takes courage. But the good news is we get to turn from it. We get to turn our backs on that sin and turn our face towards God and receive that grace, mercy, the redemption that we get. I mean, that's huge. God loves us. We are forgiven, but being healed, being made new has to do with what we spend our spiritual energy on, what we spend our life on. See, the, the thing about sexual addiction is the isolation of it, the not wanting to or being able to connect with another human being so we want to use them or take those images or masturbate or use pornography as a, as a kind of surface, shallow way of getting some kind of um, that need filled for intimacy, for connection. Um, the reason that a lot of sex addicts are disconnected, the reason they're isolated, the reason they judge alone, right? Um, even the ones that are social have these kind of really shallow relationships with friends where they don't really have anybody behind the counter that really knows them, right? Um, the reason for a lot of that is woundedness. Um, now, this is different than victimization. Uh, being wounded is something that it's something we all have to deal with. We all have wounds. Some of us are more sensitive to our wounds than others. You know, some of us are like a, are like a big Ford LTD, right? We're like a big SUV Escalade. And some of us are, are you know, like a, a smart car, right? Some of us are like a Fiat. Some of us are just more sensitive and we have to learn to deal with that, maybe exercise some of that social muscle so that we can be a little more tougher emotionally. Being around people that you can trust and being around people that can love you, again, is, is, is so helpful in that area. Um, I'm pretty tough on the surface. I can be a pretty tough guy on the surface. I'm not afraid of people. But what I am afraid of is letting people into that that third right that third layer that spiritual that behind the counter metaphor right um behind the counter metaphor is the the kind of store merchant thing is charles stanley had this this metaphor of the the person that comes in the front counter we see people we're, we stand behind the counter like a small business in our lives we see people come in the the door and those are most people in our lives. But there's those few people that we let behind the counter in our lives. 
your family usually sees you behind the counter if they saw you grow up, right? Um, but there's the people that we let behind the counter that we see as safe. Like you can come back here to the back office where, you know, where I count the, the economy of who I am. I'll let you back in here. We, we can talk. But a lot of men, especially in our culture, don't have a lot of, you know, behind the counter people. And so for me, that's something I had to grow in. I had to exercise that part of me, that, that behind the counter part of me. I didn't want to let anybody behind the counter. And the people that did could hurt me very easily. And I was really good at pushing them out. Like, okay, you're not allowed behind the counter no more. And I would smile and, and look nice and, and be friends with them. But uh, letting them behind the counter was something that I had to, man, I had to deal with that. I had to deal with that, that woundedness in my heart. And I had to become a little tougher emotionally when it came to loving other people and letting them into that, you know, sensitive, vulnerable part of my, my being. Being in relationship with, with safe Christians, right, that weren't judgy, you know, that knew that uh, John 1, 16, that from his fullness we have received grace upon grace, that none of us are better than the other one. Um, we may have some have more wisdom, but we don't sit there in, in this, you know, judgy, finger-pointy kind of thing when it comes to that behind-the-counter thing, unless we let that happen. Like, I want, you know, I want you to speak truth in my life. Give someone permission to say, hey, if I'm wrong or jacked up or off base, man, I, I, I respect you. I give you permission to, to challenge me. That's healthy, too. But it takes a while to get there. Again, it takes building that muscle. When I don't have that community, when I don't have that um, behind-the-counter kind of we can get into those talks that end up getting behind-the-counter, right, with some folks that I trust, it, I seem to grow in that self-righteousness, you know, that self-righteous indignation. I, I start to get caught up in how the world's not fair and how, you know, I don't like how this is working out and... And some of that's good when it comes to like fighting addiction, right? But it, that's that's not out there, man. That's in your heart. That's something you're going to have to deal with. And I pray that this Fourth of July message, that maybe you know, I can get you to move, right? Get out of this this territory, this oppressive territory, and have a freedom cry. Make this an Independence Day. Make a decision. To, to, to stop, right? To get out, break the habit, break the addiction, break the, the self-righteousness, break the judgment, break the isolation. That That's where it starts. You got to get down in there and break that isolation, man. Talk to some people. Pray. Reach out to God. All right? Again, I'm going to go punch through down to that spiritual level. It's, it's not that you would just fix yourself. That you would break out of dysfunction. That you would no longer be a sinner and then God would accept you. That's, that's not how it works. Again, going back to, you know, that grace upon grace being accepted into the family. It, you're accepted and, and it's easier to be open with other people who have received that grace. That know that God is their father. That we're brothers and sisters. That we love one another. We want good for each other. All right? 
but it takes making that decision. It takes breaking down before God and, and, and praying and, and accepting the gift of grace that he's given you. You are forgiven. You are loved beyond your wildest dreams. You are loved, right? We are more broken and messed up than we realize, and we're more loved than we can even fathom. But it takes making a decision. It takes making that decision to bend our knee to God, to be break and pray and, and talk to him and say, I, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Father, do you love me? Are you even real? I think God honors that. I remember praying that. Are you, if you're even real, please come to me, send me something, talk to me. Um, God honors that prayer, man. I've heard that story a lot. But it, you, you got to do it in humble humility and in, in, right, I don't know everything. It's not like you have to prove yourself to me, right? That's not the attitude it comes from. It comes from a, a I, I need you. I need to know you're real if you're real. I need to know you are love if you're love, right? Make a decision to follow God, to, to start an Independence Day. Make a decision to, to man, walk, all right? Get up and walk. Wake the dead, right? That, that spirit that's sleeping somewhere cold inside you, man. You can bring some blankets in there. Warm that thing up. Just pray. Let God in. Just knocking. Just open the door. Let the light in. Let the heat in. Talk to God. And then talk to some other people. All right. Um, if this is making any sense to you, Russ at ASI247.org. Uh, that's it. That's it, man. I want to leave you right there. I want to leave you thinking about that. God does love you. I don't know. I don't know if you've been a Christian for all your life or if this is the first time you've heard that gospel message. But he loves you this can break and it takes strength and it's maybe a strength that you don't have but he gives it he gives it freely he gives wisdom he gives grace and he will love you and give you strength i am not the most disciplined person in the world i did not do this through self-discipline all right the definition of freedom this is just from the google just googling define freedom says this, the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. That's what, it's the want-tos. It's getting a sense of a new want-to. It's going out of right bondage and into freedom. And that's a big part of recovery from sexual addiction for me. It was learning new, gaining new want-tos rather than religious kind of have-tos. That kind of reluctant, you know, begrudging submission. It just doesn't work long-term, man. God wants good for us. God wants freedom for us. It's different than you need to bend your knee and submit to me because I said so. God isn't it because I said so, God. He's a loving, generous, giving father.
That's part of the message of the gospel is obedience, that we would be obedient to him. God says, you're going to obey something. You're built that way. It's how you're engineered. You're obedient. You're subservient. You are. That's what we do. We're going to obey something. God says, be obedient to me. Bring me your heavy burdens, right? My yoke is light. My burden is light. Follow me. Obey me. Trust me. It's good for your soul. I love you. I'm your loving father, Jesus says. God says, trust me. I know it hurts. I know you've been through a lot. I know you've been through excruciating suffering. I know. Trust me. Follow me. Man, if anything, it's not that if you, you know, get God, then you get free from your sexual addiction. No, it's as we follow him, as we learn more about him, as we build our relationship with our creator, as we understand more about our savior, the freer we become. All right. That's just the truth. The more we trust the freer we become. The more we reach for his hand, the freer we become. Ultimately, recovering from sexual addiction or heroin addiction or all addiction, right? Some mental illness. A lot of it is trusting him. A lot of it is the byproduct. Recovering from sexual addiction, for me, has been the byproduct of that. And it continues to be. I love you guys. Till next time, I'll leave you with the High Flight Society bumper. Keep me in your prayers. I'll be praying for you. Again, Russ at ASI247.org. If you just want to pray with me, you just want to talk to me, if you want to connect, I don't, I don't know. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Till next time, bye. Of all decisions that you've made